Good morning. morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. A special welcome to all guests, as well as those who will be viewing our service later in the week. Well, God's promises are sure. He told us in Genesis that there will always be seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer. And so now we are starting to experience the other side of summer and heat. A change of season as promised according to his sure plan. Nature may seize our attention in ways we like or don't like. Each moment may be magnificent, menacing, or mundane, but it can inspire the worship of our Creator, God the Almighty. For an opening scripture passage, let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. And it reads as follows. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before your presence this morning, thanking you you, that you forgave us even though you know the thoughts and intents of our heart. You are the high priest that intercedes for us and sympathizes with our weaknesses and yet extends grace and mercy. We bless your holy name. Lord, guide our thoughts this morning as we sing your praises worship you by listening to and hearing your word, and by deciding to make life applications to walk in obedience and surrender to you and your will. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Just Helen to come lead us and sing. Helen and Mary. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to do something different today. Does anybody want to shout how to say good morning in low German? Go to Marius, ne? How about high German? Spanish. Buenos dias. Hebrew. Hebrew. How? How do we say good morning in Hebrew? Boker Tov. <laughs> the first song we want to sing is number one in your hymn book, Holy God, We Praise Your Name. I remember my parents had the privilege to go to Paris, France years ago for the World Conference. Later, my mom said it had sounded so wonderful to hear this song in many different languages. So today, for the first verse, Can I have the left side sing it in English and this side sing it in German? And then we sing verse two and four in English or the language of your choice. Please stand. (laughs) 
seated for the next one. Number 575, Under His Wings I Am Safely Abiding. 575. songs in your bulletin, I believe, in my heart there rings a melody.
Take your bulletins and we'll look at the concerns and activities of the church. Regular Sunday school goes today. Uh, the mission drive through fundraiser supper on Tuesday and there will be a further announcement on that. Focus on mission. Missionaries of the week are Preston Myra Wheeler and uh, Winker Bible Camp and pray for the safety of the directors and staff as they prepare the camp for the winter season. Uh, this afternoon in our church here, there will be a hymn sing at three o'clock uh, with some coffee and cookies to follow, so you're all invited to come. Uh, I'll ask Eileen to come up for the announcement on the uh, mission supper, but while she does that, I just uh, mentioned that Mary Demke passed away. She's a member of our congregation, and the funeral arrangements are pending. Good morning. Uh, I'm here on behalf of the mission committee. Uh, we want to make a more personal invitation to you all to come to our drive-through uh, mission supper this Tuesday. Uh, I don't think you have these leaflets in your bulletin today, but uh, uh, it starts 4.30, ends at 6.30 on Tuesday. Uh, thank you to all of you who have uh, signed up to help us with that. Uh, we are looking forward to working together. Uh, it's always a very good time for us as a mission committee to, to put this on. Um, our, our primary fund recipients are, uh, we, as you know, we are sponsoring Safari Muanuzi, uh, Asani's brother, and uh, we also want to sponsor Pemina Valley Bible Camp, and then also Emmanuel Menza, and he is a, uh, a man that we have been sponsoring in Zambia. He works with orphans and education and is a pastor of a church out there. Uh, the last time I think some of the funds we sent him went to building uh, one of the walls in their church. So uh, come, bring a friend, order a meal, uh, if you live in one of the seniors' apartments, uh, the delivery is available. You just please let us know, phone the office before Tuesday at noon, and uh, we can deliver to the seniors' apartments. And uh, so, thank you very much, and we look forward to serving you roast beef on Tuesday. Thank you, Aline. Then let's look at... Uh, uh, Church family, persons with health, need, health needs. We have Rita Friesen, Tina Suderman, Sadie Weeb in uh, Boundary Trails Health Center, and Eddie Jansen is still at the Carmen Hospital, and at Health Sciences Center, Gordon Peters. And I have an update from Marlene, and it just says, and Gordon's surgeon wanted to keep him in the hospital over the weekend, but will be home soon. They mentioned that the housekeeping staff door on Gordon's work ward at the Health Sciences Center had the inscription, with God all things are possible. And it's interesting, he has to walk by that uh, uh, to go for his daily walk and has been a real encouragement to them. Uh, lost and found, just a reminder, this is the last chance to pick up your stuff. It will be gone after this week. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Continue to pray for and encourage Pastor Dean and Pastor Victor as they give leadership to our church. And there is an insert uh, in the bulletin, uh, things that you can pray for, for them. And uh, please uh, avail yourselves of the, that opportunity. We have birthdays, anniversaries, milestones in people's lives. Celebrate with them. 
Winker Bible Camp will be having a fall drive through uh, fundraising meal, and that's Tuesday, October 25th from 4.30 to 5.30. Uh, take note of that. Also, there's another insert in the bulletin. It's on Christmas Gifts of Hope. If you want to donate to that cause, uh, avail yourselves. I ask the ushers to come forward. Let's bow to pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we come before your throne of grace with thanksgiving and praise. We thank you for redeeming us with the precious blood of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are children of God and thus joint heirs with Christ. Lord, help us to walk in obedience and full surrender to you and daily recognize the promptings of your Holy Spirit within us. Lord, we pray for the health needs of those within our church and community. We pray for healing for Rita Friesen, Tina Suderman, and Sadie Weeb at Boundary Trails Health Center, for Nettie Jansen in Carmen Hospital, and Gordon Peters at Health Sciences Center, as well as others at home, and we know there are many. We pray for healing and restoration to take place. Dear God, we lift up the residents of Salem and Tabor, as well as others, seniors' homes, and particularly those affiliated with our congregation. Draw them closer to you and sustain them physically and spiritually. We pray that you would comfort and uphold the many families that have lost loved ones in the recent past and the difficult situations they face. Carry them as they walk through these valleys of the shadow of death. Today we bring before you the Mary Demke family and ask that you would be the God of comfort to them as they grieve the loss of their mother. Lord, we pray for missionaries, and particularly Preston and Myra Wheeler. Give them boldness of speech and courage to carry out the God-given tasks that you have assigned to them and keep their families strong. Be with our Bible camp directors and staff as they, pre -prepare, as they prepare for the various events associated with the camps. We pray for upcoming mission supper. Pray that many people will come and that you would provide energy for those helping to prepare and serve and that the proceeds would be a blessing to those that receive them in doing the work of the kingdom. God, we rejoice with those celebrating birthday and anniversary milestones. We pray for our pastors and their families, protect them, direct their paths, make them strong, and give them leadership abilities to carry out your vision for us as a body of believers. We also pray for wisdom and discernment in our upcoming local elections, that we would elect people of good moral conduct with the ability to serve. We thank you for the gifts, tithes, and offerings that continue to flow from your hand. Bless those that give and continue to multiply the gifts. Lord, we thank you for all the participants in this morning's worship service and their willingness to serve. Bless each one for their service. We pray your anointing on Pastor Victor as he shares the truth of your word, and we pray that our spiritual eyes would be open to these truths. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to sing a song called Abide With Me uh, because we have, I think, many people, as we've just prayed for and taken note of, uh, who are suffering um, the loss of a loved one, uh, five now in the last six weeks, uh, families that are grieving. And uh, there are, and on top of that, there are those who are suffering all kinds of other things. And so um, this song is an encouragement for us who uh, have to tough things out.
Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 2, verses 18 to 24. In Genesis 1 is the account of uh, the creation from day to day. And in chapter 2, we are given a little bit more description of the creation. And so we will begin at verse 18 of chapter 2. That's Genesis 2, verses 18 to 24. And uh, it is uh, giving... um, He has created man, and he's giving a little more description about that. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a sleep, deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. May God bless the reading of his word. You don't have it in your bulletin, but I have entitled this message, the image of God. And that's what I want to talk about. And I think it's important for us to, uh, to understand it because through the image of God, we understand God. And, uh, and actually, the image of God is the basis for morality. So it's really important for all of us. And I think probably we don't know how much the image of God that he's given to us helps us to understand him. I'm going to try to uh, expound on a little bit of that this morning. The behavior that is implied by the image of God kind of tells us what leads to life and what leads to death, what is uh, good, what is evil, what is right, and what is wrong. Therefore, whatever sets itself up against God is also against the image of God. And that, I think, explains a lot of what we are seeing in society today. We are seeing the outworking of people who are against God because it is coming against the image of God. And even though it's under attack in what we might think unprecedented ways uh, in society, uh, I still have to remember what Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. So it maybe feels worse right now. Uh, I'm not sure it's any worse than it was in the days of Noah. So what is the image of God? And what is it that bears his image? You and I usually think of the individual human and say that that is the image of God. 
And there are scripture references for that. Uh, a couple of them, Genesis 9:6 and 1 Corinthians 11:7. Yet the scripture describes at least three other manifestations of the image of God. Uh, Colossians 3:10 and Ephesians 4:24 hold up the new creation, that is, the born-again believer, as being created in the likeness of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 and Colossians 1.15 speak of Jesus as the image of God, to which Hebrews adds that Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus is also the image of God. So here we have already three different interpretations of the image of God, the individual human, the redeemed human, and Jesus. Each of these pictures reflects God in a unique way, and I will get into that uh, in another message. But there is a fourth picture of the image of God that gets, I think, a little bit less attention, and that is marriage. Marriage is the image of God, and it offers a unique depiction of God that the individual person does not and cannot. So I'm gonna focus this morning on marriage. And so let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Uh, as was, oh no, that wasn't read. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God did not make them Sorry, God did make them male and female, but he first made Adam. And a little while later, God caused him to fall into a deep sleep. That part we read earlier. Removed one of his ribs and created Eve. And when Adam awoke, that great statement, uh, Adam said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then God goes on to say, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. A marvelous thing. At the beginning of history, after God had created everything else, God created man. And we usually think of man as the last thing that God created. But I would argue that the last thing God created was marriage. For he brought male and female together to become one. If I understand the scripture correctly, then I'm gonna argue that there are at least five ways in which marriage is the image of God. So, first, the image of God is a plurality of persons. There's more than one. God is a plurality of persons in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And likewise, man is a plurality of persons. Um, not man meaning male, but man meaning humanity, the human species, right? And what is this humanity? It is not male or female. It is male and female. The two are distinct, and, a huma and humanity is comprised of both. And in marriage, the two are joined and made one. Distinct, but one. 
Neither loses their individual personhood in marriage, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons comprising one God. Jesus, when he was questioned by the Pharisees about divorce, quoted Genesis 2.24 and then added, so they are no longer two but one. And this oneness he talked about echoes something that God said about himself to Israel in Deuteronomy. And we're familiar with this verse also, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The one who said, let us make man in our own image is plural yet one God. And this is reflected in marriage. Multiple persons in one entity, the image of God. So that seems like a satisfying explanation, but there's actually a little bit more to this picture. And I don't know why it isn't included in Genesis, but it's found in Malachi. The prophet Malachi gives us some insight, and Malachi prophesied against the priests of Judah who were being unfaithful to God and his people in, in uh, not doing their duties, but they were also unfaithful in their roles as husbands. And so addressing their marriages, God spoke through Malachi. Did I not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Well, that's a fascinating statement. Do you hear what he's saying? Not only do the two, male and female, become one, but according to Malachi, that union is interwoven with a portion of God's Spirit. So now, what have we got? We have a three-in-one in human marriage that reflects the eternal three-in-one. Ah, there is the image of God. So that's the first thing, plurality of persons. Second one is differentiation of persons. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are the persons of the Godhead. How do we tell them apart? Imagine using your senses to distinguish the Father from the Son or the Son from the Spirit. Can we see them? Smell them? Touch them? Hear them? Taste them? How do we, how do we get a hold of them to distinguish them? Anyone want to th throw up an answer? How do we tell them apart? We tell them apart by what they do. Each plays a different part, and I'll show you. In the process of salvation, for example, we see that the Father sent the Son into the world, and he gave his Son for the world. The Son came in the flesh and died for the sins of the people, becoming the Savior of those who believe. The Spirit convicts men of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment, and is the deposit in the believer guaranteeing eternal life, and he is sent by the Son. So there you can see, each one is playing a different part. If we look at Jesus' baptism, we will see it there as well. In Matthew 3.16, we read, when Jesus was baptized, 
Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the Son standing in the river, the Spirit descending on him, and God speaking from heaven. I don't think it could be clearer. So we distinguish the persons of the Godhead by what they do. And one thing that they never do, they never exchange roles. The Father does not do the work of the Spirit, and the Spirit does not do the work of Jesus. They all play their role. So back to marriage. How do we tell husband and wife apart? Well, some things are kind of obvious. <laughs> and. Uh, we have different bodies. We can see that. And uh, young men and women are particularly aware of that and are attracted to each other. There's a, something built into us there. Men are generally stronger and taller and accomplish great things because of their capacity to focus intently on one thing. We are single-taskers. <laughs> but men will never get pregnant give birth, or nurse a baby. Functionally, they are different and have been created to do different work. <clears throat> Men are better suited to provision and conquest and protection. That's the design. Women are equipped for childbearing and childrearing in ways that men are not. Their bodies and their psyche are well suited to nurturing children and the multitasking that it requires. So, these are just a few obvious general differences. I know there are many more, and I know there are many ways in which we are the same. Just saying, touching on a few here. In the creation account of Genesis 2, God made Adam first and brought, him, brought to him every beast and bird to name. We just read about that. And in that process, Adam did not find a mate for himself like he saw that every other creature had. But when God formed Eve out of Adam's rib and brought her to Adam, he immediately recognized her as a companion for himself. God said that it was not good that a man should be alone, and therefore he made a helper fit for him. And this also speaks of a differentiation of persons. She was created for him. She is his helper according to scripture. Further differentiation is found in Ephesians 5. And here Paul gives instruction to husband and wife concerning marriage as a reflection of Christ in the church. The husband is to the wife as the church is to, is to Christ. Sorry, the husband is to the wife, did I say that right? The husband to the wife as Christ to the church, yeah. And the wife to her husband as the church to Christ. And it says there in Ephesians, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So that's the design. It does not say that a husband should be the head of his wife. It says that he is. Question for us is whether we live out the design. Now God has created the relationship this way for a reason. 
In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, not every husband, (laughs) just her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Headship is part of marriage as a reflection of the headship that exists within the Godhead. The Son always submits to the Father. The Spirit always submits to the Son and to the Father. And again, these roles are never exchanged. Therefore, the image of God is reflected in marriage through the relationship of headship and submission. The the roles of husband and wife are not exchanged, just as the roles of father and son are not exchanged. So that's the design. And of course, we're a little bit uncomfortable with talking about this because today's culture would have us reject the whole notion of headship, submission, and authority. The world hates authority. Some have even called these structures wrong or evil. And I know that speaking about these things brings to mind men who have misused the scriptures to lord themselves over women and do terrible things. I'm aware of that. And it is because of that that feminism crept into the church as some kind of an answer to the problem. But feminism brings its own evils and is itself based in rebellion against authority. Something that God doesn't tolerate. But uh, think about this. If headship exists in the relationships within the Godhead, then we have to assume that it's good for us too. Because if not, then evil exists at the very core of who God is. Therefore, I suggest that we hold godly headship and submission in high esteem and rather try to understand how God wants us to live this out. In my mind, godly headship is a man leading his wife and children to the word of God, to prayer, to to church, to be the example to his family of faith in God and love for God. Godly headship is realizing that every man is under the headship of Jesus. So Jesus is our example of headship. And as he walked the earth, he taught the word, he lived a righteous life, he obeyed the Father, and he gave his life that we might have life with the Father. Which raised a question in my mind. Are we men giving our lives to see that our family members have life with the Father? Headship, of course, also spills into the church. And if we study the instructions given for choosing ministers and deacons, it is clear that God distinguishes between male and female and has given those roles to men. This does not mean that ministers and deacons serve without their wives. Their wives are integral to their ministry. In fact, if we read the the description of a deacon, 
it tells us there, uh, it gives us some, something by which to look at the wife of the potential deacon that she can actually qualify or disqualify him. And they serve together as we would expect and as actually as we have practiced for many years. So, just like uh, me and Eileen, she participates with me in my ministry. She's a very important part of my ministry. Amen. But she's not the pastor. I'm the pastor. So there's, there's a difference there that God has distinguished that reflects him. And I think if we remember that all of this, as uncomfortable as some of it is, this is the reflection that God wants in us to display to the world. So we can see that the distinction of male and female is important to God because of the roles for which they have been created. And they have meaning for the image of God. God cares very much how he is presented to the world. And he does not want to be misrepresented. And so the differentiation is actually critical for the image of God in marriage. That's number two. Number three, the image of God through love. A third mirroring of God is an intimate, loving relationship. In John, uh, sorry, 1 John 4, verses 8 and 16, both say God is love. If love is what God is, then love must be what God does. And the interesting thing to note about love is that it does not happen in a vacuum. I cannot love by myself. Love requires an object, right? For me to express my love, I need someone to express it to. This raises the question, how could God be characterized by love before there was anyone to love? And this is just one thing that makes the true God different than all the false gods. Our God is the eternal three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been, therefore God has always been love because he has always been, uh, the persons of the Godhead love each other. Therefore God has always been love. No other God could claim that. God is a single entity made up of multiple persons living in community and loving each other. And we find evidence of this in John 3, 35, John 5, 20, where it tells us that the Father loves the Son. And in John 14, 31, Jesus says, I love the Father. So there is that beautiful part of that union. If God is love, then love is an integral part of marriage. And this might be another reason why God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. If love is integral to the image of God, then man as a singular entity does not work. Man must be a plural entity, male and female, he created them. And we see this clearly in marriage, but that doesn't leave the unmarried person out because it also gets lived out in the Christian community, right? 
men and women in the community of believers love each other, right? So don't think that because you are not married today that this is a problem. It is not a problem. We are not meant to live in isolation, but to love and be loved. Here's Paul's explanation to husbands. This is from Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her and having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is what I was talking about before, right? Men leading their families to the word, their wives, their children. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing and that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. However, whoop, missed a line. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There is a lot in that passage, and for the purpose of what we're looking at today, there's one thing that stands out to me, and that is that to love as God commands, and as Jesus demonstrated, is to be selfless in pursuing the good of another. My love is not about me. It is about what I can do for someone else. This is part of the design of marriage, to be a relationship of selfless love, just as it is within the persons of the Godhead. So when we think of uh, headship and submission and those, all those troubling thoughts, uh, we can't divorce it from this, this kind of love, pursuing the good of the other. That's three. Number four, the fourth reflection of the image of God in marriage is seen through the type of relationship that it is. God was in relationship with Israel through a covenant that was enacted at Mount Sinai. That covenant defined what kind of a relationship God would have with the children of Israel. God remained faithful to his covenant even when Israel sinned and turned away from him. Jesus, too, is in covenant relationship with his church. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Even though we who follow Jesus sin repeatedly, he remains faithful to the covenant. And likewise, marriage is a covenant relationship. It is most clearly stated in Malachi, again, uh, where he said to the priests, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So the image of God is reflected in marriage because it is designed to be a covenant relationship. Marriage is not a contract. It is not a strategic alliance. It is not a partnership or just a really good friendship. 
It is a covenant. And the nature of covenant is that it is permanent, unconditional, and unrelenting in faithfulness. Good way to display God to the world, isn't it? And if we look around this room, how many years of marriage, faithful marriage, do we have as a witness that there is a God in heaven? Hallelujah. I look through our bulletin and I see people who are married 40, 50, 60, and more years. And I, that just, to me, is exciting. Because we're a witness to the world that there's a God in heaven. And our marriages display to the world what kind of a God he is. The fifth observation, the last one, about the image of God in marriage is that, is that it is life-generating. After God created the heavens and the earth in which he created an enormous variety of living plants and animals, he also created Adam. And Genesis 2.7 says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. God not only created all these living things, he created them so that each would produce seed and fruit after its own kind with the blessing to be fruitful and multiply. God not only created life, he created it to reproduce its own kind. God is life generating and the design of his creation is also life generating. This concept also transfers to the spiritual realm. Do you remember the valley of dry bones that God showed to Ezekiel? That the bones were very dry? Yeah. God told Ezekiel to prophesy over the dry bones. And Ezekiel wrote, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God not only creates life and creates living things to reproduce living things, he breathes life into dead things and makes them live. It reminds me of a quote that I heard from Ravi Zacharias. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, he came to make dead people live. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? And that's what we were before Christ came into us. We were dead, dead in our sins, and he has brought life. If God is the creator of life, it just makes sense that marriage is the image of God because it is also life generating. It's built into the design. The first thing that springs to life when husband and wife come together is the marriage covenant relationship itself. And when husband and wife become one flesh, the creator's design of living things, producing living things, bursts with new life, the blessing of children. Wow. <laughs> and the whole world sees that witness. Marriage truly is the image of God in the world. It reveals him through the plurality of persons in one entity, 
a distinction of persons in structured relationship, in deep, loving relationship, in unbroken covenantal faithfulness, and in generating new life. Nothing else in all creation is designed, like marriage, to be the image of God. And again, this is not a value statement on a person's marital status. What I'm saying is that whether we are married or not, the institution of marriage stands as a witness to the God of creation for all the world to see. And God has so made it that this witness is visible in every country and culture around the world. Isn't that fascinating? It's just unbelievable. Marriage is the image of God. It is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life. It is heterosexual, it is monogamous, it is loving and faithful and permanent. Marriage originates with God and it is his stamp on humanity that reveals him to the world. So if marriage is this comprehensive image of God, and if, as I suggested, that the image of God is the basis for morality, then what does marriage have to say about divorce, about sexual relations outside of a heterosexual marriage, about confusing gender, about abortion, about rebellion? God's morality is not some made-up code that God plucked out of the wind. God's morality is anchored in who he is. All our moral failures stand in stark contrast to who God is because they completely misrepresent him, right? So whenever we stray from this pattern of marriage that God has given to us, whenever we stray from it, we misrepresent. Praise God that we are under the blood of Jesus. So, what, what, what can we take with us into this week? I'll leave you with two questions. One is, are we living out the image of God in our marriages according to God's design? And I, I guess even more than our marriages, even the, the, the fellowship of believers, of men and women in fellowship under Christ as the church. Are we living out the design? And number two, and this would be good to have a discussion right now, but I'll leave you with this question. How can we love and minister to our family, friends, and neighbors who do not see themselves as heterosexual males and females? How do we minister to them? How do we love them? How do we show Christ to them? I think we know already some of those answers, but let's think about that. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, it's an awesome thing to see what you have created when you have put into creation the image of God, the image of yourself. And for us to be able to see and understand what it is that you're trying to do with your design. I thank you that you have given us minds to think on these things and to perceive them. And in the midst of the deceptions of the world, to try to be faithful in understanding what you mean and how to live. 
We want to be faithful, Father, to what you have called us to. And so I pray that you would help us in our thinking. And then, Father, we also pray that you would give us the courage to live out what we, as we understand your word. And then, Father, also give us a heart for those people that we know that do not see themselves as fitting the mold. Our society has uh, gone wild in not fitting this mold. And so I pray, Father, that you would give us tender hearts, um, and a soft spot in our hearts for people who don't, do not see themselves fitting in. And how can we, first of all, love them? How can we become their friends? And then how can we introduce them to Jesus? Because that primarily is the, is the problem, I guess, in the world, that the world does not know you. And there are many people yet who do not know you, who need to know you. And so help us, Father, as we think about ways in, in how to extend love, how to be that friend that can then gain, uh, gain a voice in a person's life and introduce them to Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you walk with us. Thank you that you do not abandon us. And thank you that as we step out in faith that you are right there with us. So, Father, give us courage. Courage and joy to live faithfully and then to find ways to minister to the world. Hallowed be your name. Amen. Amen. For the closing song, take your hymnals and we will sing a song we haven't done for a while. Number 606, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And I think we better stand for that one.
Just a couple of things I want to mention before I pray. One is um, some of us have been wondering about how do we do something with and for our youth. Uh, there's a meeting planned. Uh, we're going to gather with the youth at our home uh, a week from now. Would you please pray about that? Please make that a matter of prayer. Another thing is Sunday school a few mi- in a few minutes for adults at this point, and then this afternoon a hymn sing. Hope to see you there. Would you bow with me to pray? Father, we've talked about things this morning that are uh, sometimes heavy, sometimes confusing, sometimes difficult. Uh, But Father, thank you for making your word clear. And thank you, Father, that we uh, uh, we have your word. We can lean on it. We can trust on it, knowing that you have said these things and that you want us to know them. And so, Father, uh, again, we just ask for courage and joy to, to live what we find in your word. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day.